0: Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv.
1: Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. This is Ziv Raviv. And today, together with my partner in crime, Shachar Erez, we're exploring another topic that affects your marriage, that can make it a more generous marriage. And today is very different in episode 8, because we're actually talking about a couple that is not married yet, but through understanding their relationship we can learn a lot about something we call the relationship dynamic. And that's like something that Shachar, you are an expert on on couple therapy, on relationships. So first of all, how are you, Shachar? Welcome.
0: I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ziv.
1: And today the topic is not a couple that is married. Just before we go into the actual story of Cheryl and Jordan and uh, talk about that, can you explain to us How different is it for you as a counselor when sometimes you treat people that are married and sometimes you treat people that are in a relationship? Is there a big difference?
0: Well, actually, there is a a big difference. It's about human relationship. And the topic of today, this relationship dynamic, it's something that shows up for almost all couples. According to research, 80 to 90% have this dynamic. Sometimes it's called a cycle. Sometimes it's called a dance. But everybody has it. It can be super annoying. And when we learn how to change it, it can be super nourishing and transformative and heal childhood wounds.
1: Wow. So this is something that affects 80% of you guys listening to us right now. Wherever you're driving right now or whatever you're doing while listening to the Generous Marriage podcast, you're probably affected by the dance or by the relationship dynamic. And uh, you say, Shahar, that basically married couples and unmarried couples, both of them can suffer from and be affected by the relationship dynamic. Is that right?
0: Every couple that gets attached, which happens usually about a year into the relationship, creates this dynamic between them in which the way we react to each other kind of pokes the other's sensitivity. And the way that the other defends that sensitivity pokes my sensitivity. And that's the cycle. The way we defend ourselves is triggering for the other. And the way the other defends herself is triggering for me. And that's like an infinity loop. I get triggered. I defend myself. She gets triggered. She defends herself. I get even more triggered. I defend myself harsher. She gets more triggered, more intense. It's a downward spiral.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. So today we're going to investigate this dance, this relationship dynamic and how to actually step away, step back and find a way to overcome this. And I really love this uh, this topic, the topic of triggers and the topic of, of this uh, dynamic because it actually has a lot of implications, not just on relationships or on having a generous marriage, but also on business. I'll explain that uh, later on. Uh, Because it just does. So let's start with the story because we always have this structure. It's really useful to know. uh, Maybe this is your first episode with us in the Generous Marriage Podcast. So the way we do it is uh, we talk about a a couple. Uh, The names that we use are not the real names uh, because um, of the confidentiality between Shachar and uh, the many, many couples that he works with. However, the story is based on realistic story that you might feel very familiar with. And then we're going to talk about this couple's problem. We're going to discuss the tool to overcome the problem and even touch base with the research that proves that this problem can be healed, that this is something that you can actually improve In your marriage, if you want a more generous marriage, why should we want a more generous marriage? Well, first of all, it creates more opportunities for intimacy, It creates more opportunities for feeling loved and supported. And uh, as a parent, it will also help you uh, with the way that you raise your kids because you're going to give some pretty amazing example. So many reasons why you would want to have a generous marriage. Let's go right into the story part. Shahar, take it away.
0: So Cheryl and Jordan were a young couple in their early 30s and they've been together for three years and both of them felt like the next step as a couple would be to get married. But Jordan was having a hard time committing. It's hard to know what started it. It's like a chicken and egg thing. But because he wasn't committing, Cheryl would get triggered and more frustrated and become more demanding and critical and they would fight more. They had this dynamic, this annoying dynamic where, where she would pursue him and he would distance himself and they would fight a lot, which made him not want to commit. Why would he commit to an unstable relationship? But she wanted commitment and just, uh, you know, seemed like there was no way out.
1: Wow. Uh, that's nice to be very frustrating. Like they were together three years and the age is right. Like they're, they're already 30. So, like in many, many cultures, you know, 30 is, is a, a very modern age, uh, a, uh, age to, to get married. And especially after three years, like I remember on a book by Alison Armstrong, I always go back to her books because I really love them. She mentioned how, for women, uh, after even nine months, she would feel in the relationship like she needs some commitment because there's always the biological clock she needs to get to the next step in her life. And so Cheryl was already, you know, for three years in this relationship. What is going on? Where is it going? Where is it leading? And from Jordan's point of view, he's not ready for the commitment for some reason. And that might be very frustrating. And from his point of view, of course, he's scared to commit to this crazy bitch that is constantly... (laughs) complaining about him not being committed enough. So like it creates this spiral effect, uh, like a snowball effect.
0: It's true. They were actually really sweet people. But when this dynamic was on, she turned out to be this controlling, yeah, bitch. I'm sorry for this word, but that's how he described her. And she would describe him as irresponsible fool. So here we go, a controlling bitch, an irresponsible fool, really not getting along, really not getting their needs met. Yeah. He was afraid to commit because he was afraid to, because of many reasons, but one of them that he was afraid to lose his individuality, lose his freedom. She wanted commitment because, I didn't say that, but she was a... A strong woman, a business consultant, powerful, independent. She didn't really need him. But she needed him because she was craving letting go some, leaving her responsibilities and and resting in his presence. But in order to do that, she had to feel safe with him. So she had to know he's committed to a future with her so she could feel safe and let go and trust him.
1: Wow. Wow. I wonder where does this lead the, the end story of, of this couple? And, and tell us a little bit about what is the actual problem in the relationship? You know, how, how does the actual dynamic was, was uh, expressed in that? Because the, we understand the story that she wants to, his commitment and he's afraid. But how did it affect their day-to-day life?
0: So in their day-to-day life, she would pursue him, wanting more connection, but the way she did it wasn't effective because she would become controlling and demanding and somewhat critical. And he was sensitive to all that. He was sensitive to his freedom. So when she came with demands, he would withdraw. He would distance himself. He would either leave the house or smoke some weed and disappear in the yard or over-explain himself, which didn't make her feel understood and connected the way she wanted. So it was a hard dynamic. It's, it's actually a very common one, the pursuer-withdrawer cycle.
1: Can you explain to me, like this is once and for all Explain to me, because this is very frustrating. I, I really relate to this. Not the weed part, but definitely the, you know, become distant part. And why do they do it? Why do the women come and try to get what they want in ways that are not efficient. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, because it's a defense mechanism. They, underneath it, they often feel scared because For example, Cheryl, she grew up with an alcoholic father who was, uh, it it was hard to know how he's going to react to stuff. Sometimes he was sweet and sometimes he was a raging alcoholic. So she had sensitivity to instability. Whenever Jordan did something that made her feel unstable, she would try to gain control. And the way she tried to gain control was becoming more demanding and more controlling, which helped her not feel the fear, the terror even of of what she felt as a kid that was still arising with Jordan. But it wasn't really creating stability. It was a defense mechanism. What she really needed to do and what we did in therapy was find out everything that I just said, the historical wounds that created this sensitivity. And when Jordan was able to see the, the inner child, the wounded child, he could see beyond the controlling bitch, you know, and become generous yeah. at helping her feel safe.
1: I want to take a look at the, what you just said with, this, with, the, with the caveman metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times looking at the cave in our genetics and looking at how we, we are built human beings, a lot of our genetics is all about being that, that homo sapiens caveman and living in, in, in small family tribes. And imagine this, the lady... Uh, in this case, let's, let's take the ancestor of ancestor of ancestor of Cheryl, yeah? Cheryl, the cave lady, she, she knows that she cannot hunt a tiger by herself. She cannot hunt a deer by herself. Physically speaking, she's smaller and she's not as strong as Jordan, the caveman, the caveman version. And Jordan knows that he's really good at hunting that, that deer or that tiger and protecting the cave people that are within his responsibility. And in this case, it might only be even just Cheryl. But if he will go there and hunt, he will still need someone to help with the rest of the things, like collecting the berries and, and gather them and maybe even being aware of the environment and cleaning it and stuff. So for, for both of them, they actually need each other, right? But the reason for Cheryl to go into this partnership of you go and hunt, I'll collect the berries and wait for you here, she wants that because she needs protection, right? It's, it's a very integral part of Cheryl the cave lady that her genetics scream at her and says, you need to make sure you have one of those big guys around to protect you. Now, of course, I don't think that in the modern age you need to protect yourself from a tiger and you don't necessarily even need a man to protect yourself. You can protect yourself by yourself. However, our genetics still make us feel like, hey, we need one of those big guys around. Or In your genetics, you're mostly a berry gatherer. You're mostly aware of the environment and aware of how to improve it and how to make it better. But why should you? Why should you care about Jordan hunting stuff if he doesn't really commit to you know to protecting you right so feeling safe for a female for a lady for a woman it's very important it's a part of her to want to feel safe and she yeah. will she will walk to to make sure that she can feel safe and her yeah. way of walking about around it you know if she sees this asshole jordan sorry you know going and smoking weed in the yard instead of doing something to connect with her or doing something to to commit to something that's very frustrating that's her triggering point that's where she's vulnerable she needs to feel safe yeah. and feeling safe can come in many ways like even when you're sitting down after cooking a meal together even just giving a compliment about how lovely this meal is. Thank you so much for preparing it for me or with me or, or whatnot. So there's so many ways to make someone feel safe. And it's not something you do and then you're done. It's like something you need to constantly help the other side feel safe.
0: Right. And, and like you said, because of genetics and also because of cultural influences, it's the most common that women are more into the safety that connection gives. And men are more into freedom and individuality and providing. But I see other couples as well. Sometimes it's the other way around. The man is the pursuer and the woman is the withdrawer. And sometimes, you know, in same-sex uh, relationship, this kind of dynamic happens as well.
1: Yeah, so, so, it's, so the it's, most... a, it's a tendency, but it's yeah. not necessarily something that... Yeah everyone are exactly the same. It's not.
0: Yeah, they're not and this dynamic happens in almost every couple. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, 80%. Wow. Uh, So I understand now, I understand better and this is really important. Like sometimes we forget, forget why they're being a bitch and they're not being a bitch. They're they're actually responding to their needs. Their Mm -hmm. actual, real, sometimes even uh, genetic-induced needs or culturally-induced needs. Uh, or the history from growing up. So they have real needs and when they are not met, they will respond to it and try to fulfill their needs in a different way. So now let's understand a little bit about how did you work with them in order to overcome this relationship dynamic.
0: The most powerful part of the work together was to describe their dynamic, how they trigger each other and how they defend themselves. She would pursue him by becoming controlling, demanding, critical of him. He would distance her, distance himself from her by closing up emotionally, over justifying himself or simply going away, smoking weed. Below that, and this part they knew, that's what I call above the hood, you know, that's what is shown and this is the annoying part of the dynamic. What's more important is to realize the underlying sensitivity, the underlying need. She wanted to feel safe by feeling connected to him. He wanted to go for what makes him come alive without feeling guilty for it. They're missing experiences. She needed to hear from him. You're my number one person. I want you to feel safe. I want to take care of your needs. While he needed to hear from her, I trust you. I want to support uh, freedom. I want to support your individuality, which both didn't get enough in the family where they grew up in. She grew up in a family that wasn't very stable, and she needed more stability, and she needed to be admired more. And he grew up in a kind of restrictive family where they didn't really support his fund. They didn't really support well enough what makes him come alive. So it was a missing experience for him. And when they realized that and were able to sometimes, not always, but sometimes do that missing experience for each other to take care of each other's attachment needs, it made a huge difference And from fighting all the time. They became generous with each other. And then when generosity was the main cycle they had, sometimes when they missed each other, it wasn't a big deal. They wouldn't collapse over it. They wouldn't fight over it so much.
1: Because some of their needs were now met. They didn't trigger each other anymore. Right. Wow. So,
0: Or or even if they got triggered, it wasn't a big deal because most of the time those needs were being met, were being fulfilled. So it was easy. You know, their emotional couple's bank account was full so it was easy not to get super triggered about every time they missed each other
1: so basically you're explaining about a situation this dynamic this relationship dynamic or the dance is a situation when where there is a pursuer and a withdrawer in the relationship one of the people and it can it change from time to time between the two
0: yeah yeah but mostly each one plays more uh, one role
1: Yeah. So one of you is probably more of a pursuer. A lot of time that would be the lady in the couple. And she pursues her safety. She wants her connection. She wants her commitments from the spouse, from the relationship. And the withdrawer, which a lot of time is the guy, he wants his independence. He's very, it's very important for him, his independence. He wants to feel appreciated, he wants to feel freedom, he wants to feel individuality. The withdrawer wants things and the pursuer wants things. And those two things, those things that they want are actually in collide. They can collide. They can create a situation where the exact thing that the withdrawer wants will make the pursuer feel triggered, and the exact thing that the pursuer wants. Uh, can sometimes create a trigger for the other side. So, what basically the the first step in understanding how to stop this relationship dynamic, how to, you know, not be only with the head of the withdrawer and not be only with the head of the pursuer, is to understand one another. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about this tool of understanding yourself as a withdrawer or yourself as a pursuer or your couple as one of these? How can you reach a deeper understanding of the dynamic and through an understanding, you know, become more generous and not be triggered as harshly as you used to?
0: The idea is to create a list of triggers. We all have things that we know that trigger us more than other things. And it's really good to create this list of triggers and then understand how we feel when we're triggered. So Cheryl would get triggered when she didn't feel stability. She would feel scared and she would need help in gaining stability and safety. Jordan would get triggered when he felt like his freedom is under attack, like his freedom is taken away. He would feel despair, Uh, he would need support in uh, going for what makes him come alive. So the idea is to create a list of triggers and then write down what you feel when you're triggered and what you need when you're triggered. And ideally you share it with your partner and it creates a change, it creates generosity. You learn how to stop or not stop because we keep on triggering each other forever, but less, you know, how to trigger each other less, or when we do trigger each other, how to help each other come out of the triggered state and feel more regulated?
1: So basically, uh, I mentioned before how this trigger topic is very close to my heart because also I really love the topic of business. And in business, mapping your own triggers is even like a mandatory thing in if you want to succeed. You need to understand when are you triggered because if you're going to take action, when you're triggered, you're going to take the wrong action. You're going to ignore the facts and because of the emotions you feel from the the trigger, from the facts, you're going to wrongly analyze those facts and and behave in a way that is not focused on your actual purpose or goals. So in this process I've been involved in, like a business challenge, uh, one of the initial tasks were to map all of your triggers, exactly like you just did uh, mention, like mapping. What is the thing that happens that triggers? What is the emotion that is uh, triggered? And what is the story that I tell myself about it? Like why is it triggering me to the best of my knowledge? And then a very, very important thing is the last bit, which is what do you do when you're triggered? What do you usually do in that situation? And those triggers, they can be with your wife, they can be with your girlfriend, they can be with your mom, they can be with yourself, you know? But mapping them actually helps you with a very important key element in life in a way, which is to know that those triggers, they do not control what you do. They only control how you feel. So changing how you feel, there, oh man, like I don't know if if that's even possible. To maybe after you practice for very, very many, many years and meditate and I don't know what, maybe then you can feel a little bit less intense when something is triggering you. Maybe. But you definitely can control how you behave, how you act after you felt triggered, after you felt all those emotions in you so knowing that no know, and and because you you already mapped all of your triggers and even sharing that with your spouse omg that's the generosity because your wife basically just got a manual if she wants to trigger you she can just press the button and she can trigger you immediately because she knows what are your triggers so by showing it to her that's partnership that's generosity because you're vulnerable Remember, we talked about vulnerability uh, last week on episode seven. Uh, Vulnerability is a wonderful thing. You mentioned how this is one of the very important keys in a relationship. So it's not a coincidence that mapping your triggers and being vulnerable is part of a way to improve the relationship dynamic.
0: Yeah, and and I love what you said about this process because it helps come out of these habitual patterns of response and add some choice into them. Because, yeah, we get triggered and we feel bad. That's something that's hard to change. But we can change the way we respond to our triggers. And we can add choice and become more vulnerable and ask for what we need or take care of what we need instead of just responding in a hostile, in a protective way.
1: Let me ask you this, Shahar. did Cheryl and Jordan, when they did that mapping of list of triggers, uh, was that something that was improving their relationship and can you tell us what, what happened tri- with them?
0: It really changed the relationship and they got engaged quite quickly after we ended the process. It's funny because commitment was still hard for them. So they got engaged, but they got married almost two years after they got engaged. But they did get married and they actually had me perform the ceremony for them. Wow. It was very, was very touching.
1: Wow, that's wonderful. That, that's the... like. Uh... Whole... It's
0: rare for me, you know. I usually work with the problems, but to also be able to be there when they commit to each other—that was super powerful for me.
1: That might be very meaning- Must must have been very meaningful for you. Yeah. Um, guys, we, if you're listening right now to this, uh, and you might be thinking, "Hey, what if my spouse won't agree to this uh, preparing of list of triggers? How can I explain it to her?" Well, first of all, in the document that Shachar is making for you, this bonus material that you can download if you go to the generousmarriage.com website and in the podcast tab, go to episode number eight and just press the button to download this bonus. There will be an information for you that helps you explain yours, to your spouse why it's so important to list the triggers. And that is something that also you can let her uh, or him listen to this podcast to understand how important it is when you feel the triggers. But just on a personal level, I want you to know I did this myself without uh, Rotem uh, mapping the triggers. Like Rotem doesn't need to map her triggers. I, I can map it for her, honestly. And I can nowadays, with, through the maturity of, of researching the topic of generous marriage, I can understand her, why her triggers are uh, triggers. Why is it so important for her by myself? So even if, uh, of course, it's always better to be generous and to do it together. But even if you just do it yourself, you will see a huge improvement in your relationship because you will trigger your spouse less often. And you will be less triggered by yourself less often. So many times, like I would look at, at uh, something that Rotem will uh, tell me, like, why do I need to pick this up? And I would, I will no longer see that as a way for her to be controlling me. Instead, I would see it as she needs me to be aware of it and make her feel safe. Just by knowing your own list of triggers and remembering that you don't have to act upon your feelings when you're triggered, you can decide how you will be respond. Sometimes it's okay to be triggered, to feel something and to act upon it. But you need to decide when and how you're going to act upon your emotions when you're triggered. Because many of the times, those triggers they are very well defined. It's very easy to sit down for like thirty minutes and think about, hey, uh, yeah, every time this happens, I feel this way. Every time that happens, I feel that way. So really powerful stuff to map your triggers and even do it by yourself. Uh, let me ask you, Shahar, is there any research? about the topic of of this triggers thing?
0: So yeah, there is a lot of uh, research about this. Uh, The main researcher is Dr. Sue Johnson, who is the developer of EFT, Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. And her research and other people's research finds that 70 to 75% of couples that go through EFT process move from distress to recovery. And approximately 90% show significant improvements. So couples therapy is highly effective, wow. highly, highly effective. It's really worth going to therapy and figuring out your dynamic and figuring out other ways to handle your triggers and your partner's triggers.
1: Imagine that. Imagine if if you had like your your, your back will ache or you had headaches or or you broke some, I don't know, like you, you had these feelings and you went to the doctor and you knew in advance that for 90% chance they're going to heal you. That That is a huge, huge amount. Like I I went to like 10 different doctors about my back. No one of them healed me. You know, like I have zero improvement. And like to, to know that 90% significant improvement will be achieved, If you go to a counselor and work on your relationship, that is huge. And this was researched and re-researched. And that is why we will share with you very proudly the link to uh, the research. So you can take a look at that and learn more. Guys, we are wrapping up for today. If you go to the generousmarriage.com website, you are not going to only find the bonus that explains how to do the trigger exercise and how to help yourself get away from the relationship dynamic from this very harsh game of life where as pursuer and withdrawer, you keep triggering each other. But through this exercise, this bonus document, you're going to get information on how to make the triggers list in a more efficient way. There's even a fill in the blanks section where you need to sit down with your spouse and mention like what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel appreciated, what makes you feel trusted, and more of these that will help you identify if you are a withdrawer or are you a pursuer. And then the game of you know, mapping what are your triggers will become easier. And from there, you, know, you will also be able to even see the, the link to the research. So everything is waiting for you under generousmarriage.com. Shachar, as always, it's been a real privilege and a very fun experience to talk with you about this very important topic. Do you think they, this will help people maintain a more generous marriage?
0: Yes, I'm, I'm I'm sure that this dynamic affects almost all couples and when you figure it out and learn how to manage it, how to handle it differently, it really helps creating more intimate, more satisfying, more generous relationships.
1: So this is not just about the relationship when you're not married yet. Even though Sheryl and Jordan did get married, eventually you were even there in the ceremony uh, conducting it. But we are, what we're talking today is not just for unmarried couples. It's for every one of you listening right now to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Guys, please talk about us at work. Talk about us on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be seeing you next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Thank you, Shaha.
0: Thank you, Ziv. Thank you, everybody who's listening. We'll meet again next
1: week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.